And as you're being seated, I want to invite you to open your Bibles with me to the book of Galatians chapter 3. I want to thank Pastor George for doing a great job preaching God's Word last Sunday. I know you were blessed by God through Him. We read and we study and we memorize God's Word so that we can obey God's Word. Obedience to God and His Word is best for us and all those around us. God knows us best and He loves us most and He wants what's best for us and He tells us what's best for us in His Word. Thankfully, God empowers us to obey His Word by His Holy Spirit in us. That's exactly what God is going to continue doing this morning as we study His Word together. I want us to look back at this passage, Galatians chapter 3. I'll begin reading uh, in verse 1. Paul wrote, You foolish Galatians, who has cast a spell on you, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. I only want to learn this from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After believing, after beginning by the Spirit, are you now finishing by the flesh? Did you experience so much for nothing if, in fact, it was for nothing? So then, does God give you the Spirit and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law? Or is it by believing what you heard? We spent time studying through this passage in detail a couple of weeks ago, so I want to just uh, go back and do a quick review of what we learned from this passage. The what in this passage is the believers in the churches in Galatea were turning away from God and the truth of his gospel, and they were turning to the false teachers to follow their false teaching. Paul preached the gospel of God's grace in Christ Jesus. The gospel is the good news that we have the ability to receive forgiveness of sins and enter into a relationship with God by God's grace alone, through our faith alone, in Christ Jesus alone, not by our works, because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ opens a way for us to enter and enjoy a relationship with God. Say, thank you, Jesus. Again, thank you, Jesus. That's the what. The why in this passage is the believers in the churches in Galatea weren't focused on God. They believed God's truth, but they weren't focused on God's truth. They took their eyes off God and the truth of God's word, and they were drifting away from God and the truth of God's word. These false teachers, the Judaizers, were having success convincing these believers that salvation, that the way to God, was by the works of circumcision and obedience to the Old Testament law. That works was the way to God, necessary for salvation. Their point was... Jesus, faith in Jesus, wasn't enough for salvation. Paul was concerned for these believers, so he asked them a real simple question. Who has cast a spell on you? Paul asked, who has confused you to the point where you're no longer thinking and living biblically? Paul said, you received salvation as a gift of God's grace to you by your response of faith in Jesus, and now you're living as if you believe the way to God is by works for God. Paul here was trying to wake these believers up spiritually, snap them back into spiritual reality. And this is a great reminder and warning for us today. When we take our eyes off God and the truth of his word, 
We will drift away from God and the truth of his word. We will become susceptible to the messages and ways of this world that are in opposition to God and the truth of God's word and that are harmful to our relationship with God. So these words are for you and me today as much as they were for these believers years ago. And so Paul loved these believers. And we know this because he corrected these believers by sharing God's truth with these believers here in chapter 3. So I want to start our time in this passage this morning uh, by using one time out here uh, to bring clarity to this passage. We're going to use this first time out to bring clarity to this passage. Uh, and what we know is that Paul consistently wrote against, he was consistently opposed to the false teaching that salvation is by works of the law, not by faith in Jesus, in his preaching, in his teaching, and in his writings. Consistently opposed to this false teaching of salvation is by works of the law, not by faith in Jesus. Two reasons for this. Reason number one is works is not the way to God. Works is not the way to God. We see in chapter 2, look real quick to your left in chapter 2, verse 15, Paul wrote, we are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, and yet because we know that a person is not, say not, justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we ourselves have believed in Christ Jesus. This was so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no human being will be justified. Paul could not have been more clear in this passage. Paul believed, he taught, and he wrote, the only way to God is by God's grace through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul said no human being ever has or ever will be declared right by God by their works for God. Paul had said at the end of chapter 2, if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. Paul didn't want anyone trusting in their works to get them to God. Paul taught the only way to God consistently because he wanted people to know God. So works is not a way to God. It's not the way to God. The second reason he was against works in his teaching, preaching, and in his writing is because works puts the focus on us, not God. Works is not the way to God. Works puts the focus on us, not God. The belief that we can work our way to a relationship with God puts the focus of life on us, on our ability, on our strength, on our wisdom. And so we understand and realize this isn't good for us. Believing in our works to get us to God is an exercise in futility. We know that God is a perfect God, and the only qualification you have to meet in order to have a relationship with God is be perfect. If you want to have a relationship with a perfect God, you got to be perfect. Well, we know we've all missed God's mark of perfection. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is no one righteous, no, not one. We have all turned away from God in our sin and disobedience against God. So believing in our works to get us to God is an exercise in futility. It will not work. Believing in our works to get us to God 
also leads us to an endless cycle of uncertainty and discouragement. Think about it. Believing in our works to get us to God just continually leads us in this cycle of uncertainty and discouragement. Are we doing enough good works? Are we doing the right good works? When we mess up, how many more good works do we have to do other than our normal amount of good works to make up for our mess-ups? Endless cycle. You see, works leads to discouragement and defeat. As followers of Jesus Christ, we all battle with, we all face, we all struggle against anxiety and conflict and doubts and fear and hurts and stress and sickness and temptations and many other issues. We all deal with this. Works, a belief in works, leads us to deal with these issues alone in our strength. Grace leads us to deal with these issues in the Lord's strength. A belief in works to get us to God puts the focus on us, which leads us to think it's all about us, and so we strive and we fight and we battle to get to God alone in our strength, which leads to frustration, fatigue, and failure. But grace, understanding God's grace, we're saved by faith in Christ Jesus, allows us then to deal and fight and battle with the struggles in life in the Lord's strength, which leads us to victory in Christ Jesus. And we also know that believing in our works to get us to God leads us to pride because we end up trusting in ourselves and what we know and what we can do to get us to God. And Paul certainly understood this. That's why Paul said, for by grace are you saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. God Almighty understands us. He created us. Paul knew us. He's like us. If we could work our way to God, then we would most certainly boast about it. If we were able to work our way to God somehow, some way, we'd boast about it, we'd post about it, we'd do everything we could to let everybody know how great we were. We would do that. And so we understand, once again, what Paul was saying is life is about God, not us. Life is about pleasing God, not us. We live for God and we please God by the power of God at work in us. That's why Paul said that we are to be strong in the Lord and in his vast strength. That's why John said, greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. That's why Jesus said, the one who remains in me and I in them will bear much fruit apart from me. You can do nothing. And so we see Paul was consistently against works as the way to God because works isn't the way to God and works takes the focus off God and puts it onto us, which leads to trouble. And so now we get back to this passage and I want us to look at a few ways in which Paul lovingly corrected these believers. He lovingly corrected them. The first way is Paul used the example of their faith to correct them. Paul reminded them, as we just read in the first five verses of chapter 3, he reminded them of the gospel of God's grace in Christ Jesus. The gospel they heard, the gospel they believed, the gospel they received, and the gospel they shared with others. Paul asked them a couple of questions. Paul said, did you receive the Spirit? In other words, were you saved by doing the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Then he asked him in verse 5, did God give you a spirit? Were you saved 
by doing the works of the law or by believing what you heard? The answer is one and the same, and that answer is simply they were saved. They received the Holy Spirit of God by believing what they heard, which was God's gospel of grace to them in Christ Jesus, and by receiving that gospel by faith. They were not right with God because of their works for God. They were not saved by God by their works for God. So Paul was lovingly correcting these believers because he wanted to wake them up spiritually. He wanted to bring them back into line. And he used, first of all, here in this first passage, their own faith, the example of their faith. Paul knew this because Paul was the one who shared Jesus with them, and Paul was the one who helped lead them to faith in Christ Jesus, and he planted the churches. Second, Paul used the example of Abraham's faith. And this is an amazing point that Paul makes here uh, in this next passage. Paul used the example of Abraham to teach these believers, to remind these believers that justification by faith was taught in the Old Testament. Look in verse 6. He said in verse 5, So then, does God give you the Spirit by works of miracles among you, or by doing the works of the law, or is it by believing what you heard? Obviously, it was by believing what they heard, the good news of the gospel. Then he said, Just like Abraham who believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. Abraham believed God. Say that with me out loud. Abraham believed God. That word believed there means Abraham trusted God. Abraham surrendered himself to God. Abraham believed God. Abraham trusted God. And God credited righteousness to Abraham. Now that word credited, your translation may recounted or reckoned, it was an accounting term, and it means to put to someone's account. And so God, as he saw Abraham, as he ministered to Abraham, God credited righteousness. God declared that Abraham was right with him because of Abraham's belief, faith, and trust in him. Now understand, Abraham did not leave Haran and travel to Canaan, and Abraham did not offer Isaac on the altar in order to be right with God. Abraham was not right with God because he left Haran and traveled to the land of Canaan where God was leading him. And Abraham was not right with God because he offered Isaac, his son, on the altar just like God asked. Abraham was right with God because he placed his faith in God. Abraham was right with God because he believed God. And Paul is making this point clear here in this passage. He emphasized this uh, in Romans chapter 4. Real quick, you can jot this address down if you're taking notes. Romans chapter 4 in verses 2 and 3. Paul had emphasized this throughout his writings, and he said in Romans chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God, for what does the Scripture say? So if Abraham could work his way to God, he could boast about it, but not before God. And then Paul says, what does the Scripture say? Well, the Scripture says, Abraham believed God. Say that with me out loud. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. Abraham was right with God because he believed God. He placed his faith in God. Now, Abraham demonstrated his faith in God by his obedience to God. Hebrews chapter 11, the Hall of Faith chapter, affirms this. The author of Hebrews chapter 11 wrote, By faith Abraham... When he was called, obeyed, and set out for a place he did not know. 
said, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac on the altar. Abraham left Haran, followed God to the land of Canaan. Abraham offered his son Isaac on the altar to God as God had asked. He did both of these things in obedience to God. We know that we are not saved by good works, but we're saved for good works. The point Paul is making with these believers who were being led astray from God and his truth is simply this. The way to God in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the way to God has been and always will be by faith, not works. By faith, not works. Paul believed this, defended this truth, and he declared this truth. Paul believed this truth. He defended this truth. He declared this truth. We've seen that already in our study of Galatians. God wants us today to believe this truth, to defend this truth, to declare this truth to those around us. That's why Jesus commissioned us and said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe and obey everything I've commanded you. Remember, I'm, always, I'm with you always to the end of the age. He wants us to help others understand the way to God is by faith in God. And he wants us to demonstrate our faith in God by our obedience to God. And so we see this point. Paul used their example of faith to try to wake them up and get them back focused on the Lord. Now Paul is using the example of Abraham's faith to wake them up spiritually and to get them back on the right track, serving and seeking the Lord. So I want to take a second time out real quick right here to bring clarity to Abraham. This helps to wrap up what Paul is saying here throughout chapter 3 and chapter 4 that we're going to be discussing. This helps to bring some clarity. This is a, a quick timeout, a quick summary that brings clarity to Abraham. God made a covenant, a promise with Abraham to make him into a great nation and to bless all nations through him. God's promise to Abraham, this covenant to Abraham, dates all the way back to Genesis chapter 12. So turn to your left, go all the way to the beginning, the first book of the Bible, and I want you to look with me at Genesis chapter 12. We're going to look at this passage for just a few moments. Genesis chapter 12, we find this Abrahamic covenant. God made a promise to Abraham. And as we make our way through this passage, it's going to begin to make more and more sense and going to be, bring more and more clarity to what Paul is teaching here. This covenant from God with Abraham, this promise, is beginning in Genesis chapter 12. I'll begin reading in verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, go out from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So let's stop right there for just a moment. Quick summary here. God changed Abram's name to Abraham later in Genesis chapter 17. Notice in verse 1 already, God's call on Abraham was a call of faith. Just notice that. You see it. God called Abraham to leave those he knew and to leave what he had, to leave uh, and to go out from his land. So he called them to leave the area that he was in and to leave all that he owned. He was calling Abraham immediately from the beginning of this covenant promise to a life of faith. He continued in verse 2, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. 
and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Sounds good, right? Are you with me? If that sounds good to you, say amen. 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 That sounds great. Notice God's covenant, his promise to Abraham was solely by his grace. Solely by God's grace. God promised to bless Abraham and to bless all nations through Abraham. We know God fulfilled his promise here at this point in time, physically, through blessing the aging Abraham and Sarah with an heir, with a son, with a child named Isaac. Because at this point in time, they were childless. And so when God promised Abram, Abraham that he was going to bless him and make him a great nation, Abraham was like, okay, how? I don't have an heir. I don't have a son. So if you look in Genesis 15 real quick, we pick up, and this is exactly what Abraham is saying in verses 1 through 3. He's like, you haven't given me a son. How is this going to happen? And in verse 4, now the word of the Lord came to him, that meaning Abraham, this one will not be your heir. You're not going to have an heir through uh, the mistress, uh, the maidservant of your wife Sarah, that being Hagar. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look at the sky and count the stars if you're able to count them. Then he said to him, your offspring will be that numerous. Abraham believed the Lord and the Lord credited it to him as righteousness. So we see Abraham. God is talking to Abraham and said, Abraham, here's how it's going to work. I'm going to give you an heir. I'm going to give you a son. And if you can count all the stars in the sky, that's how many ways you're going to be blessed. That's how you're going to be blessed. I'm going to bless you. So Abraham believed God would give him a son. Abraham believed God would bless him and bless all nations through him. And God credited to Abraham righteousness because of his faith in God. God declared that, Abraham, you are right with me because of your faith in me. We see now back in Galatians chapter 3. In Galatians chapter 3, Paul, in referring to this, and we'll get to this next week, but I want you to look real quick in verse 14. We'll just jump ahead to verse 14. Paul said this, the purpose was that the blessing of Abraham, what's that blessing? That God would make him a great nation and that he would bless all nations through him. The purpose was the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles because they're part of all nations. The, the purpose was the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Christ Jesus so that we would receive the promised spirit through faith, so that we could receive this promised spirit through faith. So here's Paul's point. God ultimately fulfilled his covenant promise to Abraham through Christ Jesus, the promised prophesied seed of Abraham. And the blessing of Abraham, that blessing that God made to Abraham in the Old Testament we just read about, to bless all nations through him, the blessing of Abraham would come to all nations. All nations would receive the blessing of Abraham through faith not works, that faith being in Christ Jesus. Because Christ Jesus was the ultimate fulfillment of the promise, the covenant of God to Abraham. So Paul, here in this passage, 
was using the example of Abraham to make his case for faith as the way to God. Now this comes into clarity for us because the Jews were using Abraham to make their case for works as the way to God. And so Paul is going to use the very one, the very example that these false teachers were using in a heretical false way to make the point of what God's word says from cover to cover in truth. And so now we move to verse 7. In verse 6, just like Abraham who believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. Verse 7, you know then, Paul said, now he's talking to these believers. You know then that those who have faith, these are Abraham's sons. Oh, he's getting into it now. You know then means be sure of this. Therefore, Paul was declaring something that he was very confident in. He knew this point. He was making this point to them. Here's what he was saying. Abraham was the first patriarch of Israel. He was the founding father of Israel. The first patriarch of Israel. We know that the Jews were very proud to be sons and daughters of Abraham. They believed that this guaranteed them a relationship with God because they were sons and daughters of Abraham. They believed that being a part of the Jewish nation, being a son and daughter of Abraham, physically and circumcision and obedience to the Old Testament law is what guaranteed them a relationship with God. This is why they were trying to force the Gentiles to become Jews so that they could have a relationship with God. Paul here says in verse 7, no, 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 no. You know then, since Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, you know then that those who have faith they, they are Abraham's sons. These are Abraham's sons. So Paul says, no, 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 you're not, you're not listening to me. He said, listen. He said, then those who have faith, those Jews and Gentiles who have faith in God, they are the spiritual children of Abraham because Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. You see, Paul made a distinction Paul made a distinction between the physical seed of Abraham and the spiritual seed of Abraham. He made a distinction between the physical children of Abraham and the spiritual children of Abraham. Jesus himself in the Gospel of John made this same distinction as he was battling with the false teachers, these Jews. He distinguished between the physical seed of Abraham and the spiritual seed of Abraham. What Paul was saying is faith is how Abraham was declared right with God, not works, not circumcision, not obedience to the Old Testament law. That's not how Abraham was declared right with God. That's not how God credited righteousness to Abraham. It was by faith. And he's saying faith in Jesus is the way now to being declared right with God. Faith always has been, always will be the way to God. He was making this point clear to them. It's not about your physical lineage. It's about your spiritual lineage. And this is important for us at times because there are times when we make the mistake, and I know this because I've talked to people often, they make the mistake of thinking that they are right with God because they have always gone to church. 
Their parents took them to church. They've always gone to church. So, yeah, I, I, I've got a relationship with God. I say, well, can you, would you mind sharing with me at that point in time when, when you placed your faith in Christ Jesus? Can you, would you mind sharing with me that point in time where God just saved you by his grace of your faith in Christ Jesus? Well, you know what, uh, Mark, I, I, I've just always been in church, and, and uh, my parents took me to church. And, and, and that's, uh, you know, and, and so I've always known God, and I've, I've always uh, had a relationship with God. Uh, hold on a second. When does that point in time come? When that death has occurred, you've died to sin itself, and you've been raised to a new life in Christ Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. You don't get that by just being in a church or going to church. I mean, it's a good thing to do, and that's a great blessing to have that heritage of of being brought up in church. Praise God for everyone who has been brought up in church and praise God for those who weren't brought up in church but who were saved by God's grace and are now in church and raising their families in church. That's great. But you see what Abraham was saying is to these Jews, he's saying, listen, you guys are trusting in your relationship to Abraham physically as a Jew. You're from the line of Abraham. You're a descendant of Abraham. And you're trusting in that for your relationship with God in these works of circumcision, obedience, Old Testament law. And Paul said, Abraham wasn't declared right with God by that. You're banking on Abraham, but you're confused because not even Abraham banked on that. And he continues this in verse 8. Look at what he says. This is so amazing. Now the scripture saw in advance. Now the scripture saw in advance. Say in advance. In advance. That God would justify the Gentiles. By faith and proclaim the gospel ahead of time to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed through you. So what is he saying here? It's exactly the argument he's making. He's saying, listen, guys, Scripture made this clear in advance. He said, God spoke to Abraham in advance, beforehand. God actually spoke to Abraham, which we just read about in Genesis chapter 12, before Israel was a nation. God actually spoke to Abraham before God had even given the law to the nation of Israel for them to obey and follow. That was yet to come. And God spoke to Abraham before in advance, and he told Abraham, all nations are going to be blessed through you. Pointing to the reality that the blessing of Abraham comes to all nations by faith in God that was revealed in the coming, the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So he's making this point clear to them. You're trusting in Abraham and your physical lineage to him and your works and circumcision, obedience, the Old Testament law, to be right with God. Well, Abraham wasn't even declared right with God by that. And oh, by the way, God spoke to Abraham, the father of the faith. He spoke to Abraham before Israel was constituted as a nation, before the law was even given. And he told Abraham, hey, all nations are going to be blessed to you. I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless all nations through you, pointing to the prophetic coming of Christ Jesus on the cross of Calvary, through whom all nations will be blessed. By the seed of Abraham, that seed being the prophesied, promised, holy, holy Son of God, Jesus Christ. So he's helping them to understand this to, again, what is he trying to do? He's trying to wake them up spiritually. Then he says in verse 9, consequently, 
Those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. He says, consequently, therefore, in conclusion, he says, those who have faith, those Jews and Gentiles, those among all the nations who have faith in God are blessed with Abraham. Because he had faith in God. Those who have faith are the spiritual children of Abraham. The blessing of Abraham. The blessing through Abraham. The blessing comes through faith, not works. Paul was telling these believers in these churches in Galatea, listen, you guys placed your faith in Christ Jesus. Therefore, you have been blessed with the blessing of Abraham because of your faith in Jesus. Now wake up and continue living for Jesus. And the same is true for us today. The blessing of God that he covenanted, he promised to Abraham all the way back in Genesis that he would bless Abraham and make him a great nation and bless all the nations through him is received by us. We are blessed with Abraham. By God's grace through our faith in Christ Jesus. See, faith in God leads to the blessings of God. As Paul told us, we have been blessed by God with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. So what does this mean for us today? What does this mean for you and me today? What's our takeaway today? What can we apply in our lives? And then what can we apply in our ministry to the congregations that God's going to place around us today and this week? Let's just look at a few application points. The first application is we need to give thanks to God for our faith. We need to give thanks to God for our faith. We know that grace is a gift from God to you and me in Christ Jesus. For by grace you are saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It's a gift. We did nothing to earn or deserve God's gift of grace to us in Christ Jesus. God chose Abraham by his sovereign grace. God chose Paul by his sovereign grace. God has chosen us and saved us by his sovereign grace through our response of faith and trust in Christ Jesus. And so we need to give thanks to God for our faith for the opportunity that he has extended to us to be made right with him by his grace through our faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul said, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And we can certainly today and every day give thanks to God for his grace to us in Christ Jesus. Amen? God's grace is sufficient for you and me. And his power is perfected in our weakness. Therefore, we can boast all the more gladly about our weaknesses because that's when Christ's power rests solely on us and strongly in us because of his grace to us in Christ Jesus. So our application, once again this morning, is give thanks to God for our faith. Secondly, humbly live out our faith. Paul wanted to wake these believers up spiritually. They were drifting away from God, and Paul wanted them to live for God. Paul actually used their guy, the example of Abraham, to wake them up spiritually and to challenge them to demonstrate their true faith in God by their obedience to God. And God wants us today to live what we learn from his word. God wants us to show our faith in him by our obedience to him. 
God will empower us to obey him as we humbly bow before him day by day. As we humble ourselves before God each day, God empowers us to walk by faith through the highs and lows, the ups and downs, the blessing, the challenges, the difficulties that come our way as we live the Christian life. Listen, living for Jesus in a world that is opposed to Jesus is not easy. You know this. I know this. This is becoming more and more obvious to us as followers of Jesus Christ with every passing day. Spiritual warfare is real. Our enemy Satan is real. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy us. He's the liar who lies and deceives us. He tempts us because he wants to turn us away from God. God's word and one another, God's people, because his desire is to isolate us. His desire is to discourage and distract and divide us because ultimately he wants to destroy us. And so living for Jesus in a world opposed to Jesus is a challenge because of what's going on outside. It's a challenge because of what's going on inside because we ourselves are having to battle with the sinful desires that war against our flesh. So as we know spiritual warfare is real, but our victory in Jesus is always real as well. Amen? We have victory in Jesus. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. We can be strong in the Lord and in his mighty strength. We know that there is no wisdom, no counsel, no insight that is greater than the Lord. That victory is what happens by the power of God. We know. We know that God's grace is sufficient for us. We know that we can trust him to meet all of our needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Our victory is in Jesus. My victory is in Jesus. Say that with me out loud. My victory is in Jesus. We know no one or nothing can separate us from God's love for us in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. So what God wants from us as we look at this passage, as we study this truth, we need to just stop. We need to give thanks to God for our faith. We need to humbly live out our faith. And then as Paul was encouraging these believers, we need to tell others about our faith third application is tell others about our faith. Paul reminded these believers of the gospel of grace in Christ Jesus, the gospel they heard, the gospel they believed, the gospel they received, because Paul wanted them to wake up spiritually so that they could tell others the good news of the gospel that they had received, because Paul didn't want anyone to miss out on a relationship with God. You see, Paul knew what we know today, and that is simply this. People need Jesus. People need Jesus. And as followers of Jesus, it's our privilege and responsibility to tell others about Jesus. And it's important for us to tell others about our faith because we are experts on our faith in Jesus. No one can truly debate you about God's work in your life that miracle-working power when God saved you by His grace through your faith in Christ Jesus, you know that better than anyone. You know where you were. You know what God was doing. You know what your life was like before Christ Jesus. You know what it was like to receive Christ Jesus. You know what your life has been like 
after receiving Christ Jesus. You tell others about our faith. Because they can't argue with our story of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus according to the truth of his word. We tell others about our faith by our actions, what we do, and by our words, what we say. As we say often here, as followers of Jesus, we're witnesses for Jesus. We're on stage for Jesus. We're the light of the world. We're to shine the light of Christ in us so that those around us can see our good deeds and give glory to our Father in heaven so they can hear us and be drawn closer to Jesus Christ. They can see those actions and those words being in consistency with one another. You see, the good news is this. The exciting news is this. The powerful news is this. We share and God saves. We share and God saves. As we share, we join God in His work of changing lives for eternity. We get to share about this grace of God that changed us from the inside out. It was poured out on us by God and we responded placing our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I read this past week, a friend sent me an article about a lady by the name of Sydney McLaughlin. Sydney McLaughlin is an American U.S. track athlete. She just recently broke the women's world record time for the 400 meter hurdles. She's the first woman to ever break the 52 second barrier. She posted a time of 51.90 seconds. This, by the way, was done in record high temperatures. And Sydney is now the front runner, the favorite to win the Olympic gold medal in the Tokyo Games that begins later this month. She's the favorite, the front runner to win the Olympic medal in the 400 meter hurdles for the United States. Sydney is a faithful sister in Christ Jesus. And she, upon winning that race, upon setting the world record, responded in an amazing testimony to God. And here's what she said upon winning that race. I could feel this meet was going to be something special, but man, weeks like these are some of the hardest in a track athlete's life. The mental strain of preparing for the rounds in order to solidify your spot is heavy enough, but the amount of weight the Lord took off my shoulders is the reason I could run so freely yesterday. My faith was being tested all week. From bad practices to three false start delays to a meet delay, I just kept hearing God say, just focus on me. It was the best race plan I could have ever assembled. I no longer run for self-recognition, but to reflect his perfect will that is already set in stone. I don't deserve anything, but by grace through faith, Jesus has given me everything. Records 
come and go. The glory of God is eternal. Thank you, Father. She just summarized the testimony of every follower of Jesus Christ. I don't deserve anything. But by grace, through faith, Jesus has given me everything. Thank you, Father, for your grace. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. To God be the glory for the great things he has done. To God be the glory for the great things he is doing. To God be the glory for the great things he is yet to do. By grace, through faith, Jesus has given me everything. Thank you, Father. Let's bow in prayer. Our worship team is going to come and lead to this time of response to the Lord. This is our invitation, and this is simply a response time. We've sung our praise to God. We've heard God speak to us through his word, and now what God asks is for us to respond to him. The altar is open as it always is if you want to come and kneel and do business with the Father. Maybe it's just to give him thanks for his grace at work in your life. Maybe it's to ask to continue to grant the courage that he would grant you the courage to tell others about your faith in Jesus or maybe you want to come and just kneel and fall before him and just ask him to give you the strength to humbly live out your faith day by day maybe God wants you to go and pray with someone pray for someone you know someone's hurting and they need ministry and God's going to call you to go and be an encourager to them or just simply to pray for them listen God's speaking he wants us to respond and the message of salvation is really that simple. We do not deserve anything. By grace, through faith, Jesus has given us everything. And we owe this to our awesome, gracious, and almighty God. So we say thank you, Father. If you've never trusted Jesus, whether you're here in person or streaming online, let me encourage you to receive this gift of salvation that God is extending to you. Once again, as we've been talking about this gospel, it's not about what we do, it's about what Christ has done. God's extending his grace to you once again by giving you this opportunity. And the response that he desires is by simply you and I just falling on our knees before him, crying out to him in, him in faith, confessing our sins, repenting, turning from our sin, and turning in faith to him through Jesus Christ. Our pastors, ministers would love to pray with you. They're here at the front. We'd love to introduce you to Jesus. This is your time with the Father. Let's stand and let's respond in obedience to God.